Amen. You may be seated. My name is Ethan Fordham. I serve as an elder here at Renovation Church. Grateful to have each and every one of you here with us this morning as we continue through Philippians. So, in the last two years, uh, I've been going to the gym, and it's been great. I've loved it. It's become an obsession, actually. Maybe it's a problem sometimes. And if you know anything about me, you know that when I really get into something, like I become, I become obsessed a little bit. Maybe it's a little unhealthy. But I do have an obsession. I like to learn about the things that I'm into, gather principles. So when it comes to the gym, over the last couple of years, I've learned and gathered principles. There's a lot of science behind work in the gym. And one principle I've learned is called progressive overload. Progressive overload. It is when you gradually increase the intensity or difficulty of a lift over time. You have to apply progressive overload over time if you want to progress in the gym, whether that's gain muscle, lose weight, whatever it is. But when you do this, you very quickly realize that failure is inevitable. You, if you apply progressive overload the way it should be applied, you will fail. But failure is also necessary in the gym. A muscle needs to fail or at least get very close to failing in order to grow. I could go on about uh, muscle fiber recruitment uh, and you know, protein synthesis and, right? It's crazy how muscles actually like, they grow inside our bodies like when you put them under certain stresses. It's, it's kind of, it's interesting, it's fascinating. But you do fail and failure is necessary. So when you fail, you have to commit yourself to pressing on, right? The mental load, the fatigue, the strain, right? When you reach failure, you still have to press on. The Christian life, I think, is very similar to this. The growth in grace, truth, virtue, does not happen quickly, and it involves a lot of failure, right? We can't expect to see results overnight. So what principles will lead us to progress in the Christian life? Well, this morning, Paul answers this question. This is what the Lord wants to teach us. So we continue through our series in the book of Philippians. You please open your Bibles. If you have them, it'll be on the screen as well to Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to invite Stephen Kavnis to come up, and he's going to read our passage for us. Good morning, church. Our reading this morning comes from the New Testament book of Philippians, 
chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go before our God and pray and ask for his assistance this morning. Spirit of God, we ask that you would open our eyes and our minds Behold the face of Jesus Christ in these words. Receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember from last week, Paul said that he was going to, at the very end of his long statement, his long passage, he was going to participate in Christ so that by any means he might attain to the resurrection from the dead. He knew he had to progress. He had to continue. He had to move on. Paul was going to, now Paul in this verse, he he goes on to affirm twice in our text that whatever he has in Christ, he does not have it in its final and perfect state. He's still in progression. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul recognized that he was not perfect. He had not achieved or come to the final state of sinless perfection that's found in the resurrection. He's not in unhindered communion with God. He's still affected by sin. If you know anything else of Paul and other places that he's written, Romans 7 is a great example of Paul's struggle in the Christian life, that he still continued to sin. He didn't do the things that he wanted to do, but it was the very thing he hated that he continued to do. He was deeply affected by sin. Paul was not perfect. Friends, we are not perfect. Christians struggle with not being who they want to be and doing the very thing we do not want to do. Christians are not perfect. But there's a temptation, right? And maybe you've heard somebody say this, that perhaps they've sinned and they've covered it up by saying, well, I mean, I'm not perfect. That's that's not the right approach to the Christian life. That's not how you progress in the Christian life. To be a Christian is to be dissatisfied with sin. And this dissatisfaction is not like a glum attitude, like, oh, I sinned, woe is me. But nor is it a dissatisfaction with merely the consequences of sin either. Like, 
I fear the results of a sinful action rather than the sinful action itself. No. It is a holy dissatisfaction with sin itself because it's not the perfection that we're called to as the people of God. Progressing in the Christian life comes with an ever-increasing awareness of sin. To progress is to look at how good Jesus is and to still wrestle with the gap between his sinless perfection and our sinful imperfection. We see this as Paul confesses, as we confess that we are not perfect. That to progress in the Christian life means recognizing that we are not perfect. Start there. We must recognize that we are not perfect. Right? Being a Christian does not mean that we will not sin. But as Christians, we don't then just throw up our hands. No, we must press on. Paul knew this. He knew that he was not perfect, but he would press on. He said, but I press on to make it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize. Paul was pressing on and straining forward. He was fully engaged in running the race. His imperfection would not hold him back. He would participate and live for Christ until that final day when the perfection of the resurrection comes. We see that he was single-minded in this pursuit. Right? He says, but one thing I do. One thing. Right? Paul's in a Roman prison. You think he could have a whole lot of other things on his mind. But one thing I do, I got to get out of here. But one thing I do, I got to not be executed. I'd like to continue to live. But that's not what he says. That's not his goal. His goal was to progress in the Christian life by pressing on. And he did this by leaving his past behind. Where, where, where he came from would not hold him back. He had done so much in his past life, both good and evil, as he stated in a previous passage, that he was a man of zeal, that he was obedient to the law. But yet he persecuted Christians. But at the end of that passage, he says, he counted everything that he had before Christ as loss. Because knowing Christ and his resurrection was greater than all of that. Now, I want to say that it's worth noting that what Paul doesn't mean, he doesn't mean that considering the past isn't worth doing. Not only did he consider his past in the previous passage, but he did, I think, very well in his testimony, his own personal grace story 
in 1 Timothy, where he said this. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, that is the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul looked at his past with an eye toward the future. That he knew that the story God gave him was meant to be shared. It was meant to be shared with others as an example to them so that others might believe in Christ for eternal life. Your past is worth considering because it's a past God gave you. But as do as Paul did, don't get bogged down by who you used to be. Don't let your past hold you back from your future. Right? Only Satan would constantly remind you of how bad you used to be. Or maybe even how self-righteous you were. But when we think about our past, God uses it. That we might put one foot in front of the other and progress by pressing on toward the future. We might as well say the same thing for our present as we do for our past, right? We're also being we're also capable of being distracted in this life by this, that, thing, or the other. Right? There are bills to pay. There are wars waging around the world. Perhaps we're worried about a, a diagnosis. Worries about the instability of some of our lives. But in the midst of all of that, we are called to press on. To be single-minded like Paul. To keep our eye on the prize. Renovation Church, how do we do that as Christians? We press on by attending to worship and the preaching of the word on a weekly basis. When we hear God speak through the service, it is but a foretaste of our resurrected life with Christ. So be single-minded in that pursuit. Don't let anything get in your way so long as God permits. Don't let anything keep you from worshiping God on Sunday and hearing the word preached. This is where we hear God speak. This is where we taste of our heavenly rest and perfected state in the resurrection with Christ. This is God's means of grace to us to increase our faith. Without it, you, I, we have no hope in making it in the Christian life. So press on to, in hearing the preaching of the word. And press on by thinking and considering about your baptism on a regular basis. 
When tempted, remind yourself that you are baptized, that you no longer belong to the enemy, but that your identity and your whole person is united to Christ and shaped by him. We hear this from Paul in Romans 6 when he's talking about baptism. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, right? We're a Baptist church, which means we immerse people. We do this weird thing. We don't sprinkle anybody. We immerse them, right? Whole body goes into the water. Why? Because the whole body comes out of the water. as a picture of the resurrection of our whole body coming out of the grave with Christ in the resurrection. So friends, be single-minded, when you think and press on as you consider your baptism, that your baptized identity is an all-consuming reality that God uses to remind you of who you are and who you belong to. Baptism changes everything about us as the people of God. Friends, press on in prayer. And the spirits, as we confessed this morning, the spirits work to conform our will to God's will. Press on in private devotion, right? God works here primarily, but he certainly works in private as well. Might as well say too, like, press on in family worship. Parents, like, teach your kids Lead your children to know and to confess Christ. Even, right, like, when do you need to hear press on, but at, like, a dinner table when everything is crazy and it's just like, is anything happening right now? Well, I'd say yes, because the Lord is doing so many things, even in the midst of all of our distractions, right? Even in the midst of all of the chaos of the dinner table for you parents, Friends, let's press on like the saints of old, those who have gone before us. Friends, consider their faith in Christ and the treasures of thought and devotion that they've left behind for us to enjoy, to press on in the Christian life, to press on like they did. We know that some of them pressed on even unto death, being burned at a stake, or drowned, or fed to lions. They said some things worth paying attention to. Things that we should hear so that we might also press on. Friends, let's press on. And all of this for the prize, right? Because he says he pressed on for the prize, toward the goal of the prize which is perfected life in the resurrection, when we will be in perfect communion with Christ, when sin, Satan, and death will be no more, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him, where we will not be able to sin. Worry. Care, death, disease, famine, poverty, injustice. 
all will pass away in that perfect state when we will see our God face to face and behold him for all eternity. Doesn't that sound good? Can I get an amen? Doesn't that sound so good to press on toward that perfected life in Christ and the resurrection? To be beyond this life? To be in that place where pressing on will cease and perfection in some mysterious way will be perfected as we dwell with our God forever. Friends, to progress in the Christian life is to press on toward the prize of perfection in the resurrection. Now, if that sounds hard to press on, you would be right. It is no simple or easy task. And yet we're still called to press on to the prize of perfection in the resurrection. How could we possibly how could we possibly do that? Like we have a hard enough time remembering where the we put like the car keys, let alone like monitoring our progression in the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, we are not left alone to our own devices, powers, or plans as we progress in the Christian life. Paul goes on to set in order a matter of first importance. He says to progress in the Christian life is to rely upon the plan of the perfect Savior. Paul said he pressed on to make perfection his own because Christ Jesus had made him his own. He pressed on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' plans for his people, the hope of progressing is inevitable. It is by Christ's power that we progress, that we are made his own to begin with. That it's the call of God in Christ Jesus that makes us who we are today. The Christian life begins and ends with the perfect power and plans of Jesus for us. Perfection of the resurrection is only possible because Jesus was the perfect savior who came to bring mankind back into perfect communion with a perfect God. There's a lot of perfect this morning, right? But that was his plan all along. And the ability to even realize that you are not perfect in the ways that are pleasing to God and to desire perfection is because of Jesus Christ, because he saved you for this very thing. It is not in your power, but the power of the Spirit of God who brings about these things in your life. We don't bring them about ourselves. But this is what the Father does by the work of Jesus Christ through the assistance and empowerment 
of the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we have been born again into a personal relationship with this perfect Savior. And we will reach perfection in the resurrection because Jesus planned from the very beginning to perfectly save us for his purposes. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and this perfect Savior, friends, realize that it is not your perfection or your ability to perform or some standard of perfectionism that's going to make you pleasing before God. Nothing that you could do could possibly make you pleasing before a perfect God. It's only a perfect Savior who could make us pleasing before God. It's only by His power that any of us have any hope for perfection. So if you don't know Jesus today or like sitting on the fence or you think that maybe like, you know, I can muster this. Like I can make my way to God. Friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And that your only hope for life, perfected life with the perfect God for whom you were created is the salvation of Jesus Christ. He calls you this morning to come to him in faith. And in faith, right, he saves us. He saves us perfectly. If you are a Christian this morning, maybe some of you are like, this is great. This is awesome. Yeah, you know what? This is, this is the way. I, I, I'm picking up what Paul's laying down. I, I love it. This is so good. What an encouragement to like, press on, to even see that our imperfections are part of the plan and to know that these are Christ's good purposes for us. Maybe some of you are more skeptical. And it may seem, it may, may seem impossible, right, to, like this all seems so difficult, impossible to grow beyond where you are right now in the Christian life. Well, we receive an encouragement to both. Paul goes on and he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Right, Paul basically says that in the church there are mature people and that they should continue to think like he does. Like, hey, continue to think like me. But he leaves some room. Hey, there might be some people who disagree, who can't see their beyond their lack of progression in the Christian life to grasp anything more excellent than what they have in the moment. Well, to the mature, he said that they should use their maturity to press on to maturity. It's actually funny, like a little, he does a little bit of a word play. Uh, I have time to get into this. He does a little bit of word play when he talks about uh, up in verse 12 when he says perfect, right? It's, it's, a, it's a Greek word. It's like telos, which means end. 
Um, it's related to that, basically means perfect. When he goes down here, he says mature. It's a slightly modified word that also kind of means perfect, right? So he's saying, hey, if you're living into this perfection, like continue to live into more perfection. Now he's not saying perfection as in the resurrected perfection, but he's like, there's a Christian life, a participation in Christ that is the perfection into which we ought to live. He says, continue to live into that perfection. Continue to live into that maturity, right? Like, are you, are you mature in devotion? Man, get more mature in devotion. Are you mature in service to others? Like, just continue to pursue that. Be more mature in your service to others. Are you mature in Christ? Mature in knowledge? in piety, continue to press on into greater maturity. And this is an encouragement for them. And so some of us are just like, yes, like I'm so jazzed up by this. Like I can't wait to go like study and, 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 and memorize scripture verses. Scripture memory is so hard. I have not reached that level of perfection yet. But it's good. And it's good for us, for some of us, to realize that and to live into that. But at the same time, some of us are weighed down by our present cares in life. Some of us can't see beyond our current distress or maybe even our pasts. To those who have difficulty believing that God could ever get them beyond their present state, Paul confidently says, God will reveal that to you. He doesn't place it in their hands to sort of make something happen. The humble confession, hey, I have confidence that if you are struggling in the Christian life to live into certain things, that God will reveal that also to you. Friends, I gotta say that I believe this, and I believe it for all of you, even particularly some of you, that God will reveal this also to you. That it's in God's hands to move you to greater perfection. That you may not believe or live like God can do that. You may not believe or live like God can heal your past trauma. You may not live or believe like God can provide greater stability in your mind and your life as you struggle with whatever it might be. As a people these days, we, all the issues we have with mental illness, you might not believe life can get any better and that God desires you to be more mature and perfect. Friends, he does. And I say with Paul, God will reveal that also to you. Suppose this is you this morning, struggling in these ways. I call you to believe. Believe 
and act like Jesus wants more for you than you think possible. There is treasure within your reach. So don't give up, but give in to what Jesus wants for you. It says it explicitly right here. So believe it. Whether we see what Paul is saying is great and like awesome, we have a difficulty seeing how God could do any of this. We all must hold to what we have attained, right? His call at the end is a call for every one of Christ's people, whether mature or not, to hold in common and to believe what they have in common. To live together as the body of Christ. Not to separate into mature and mature, but to be with one another as Christ's people. To live together as Christ's people. To help one another press on in the Christian life. That's what he calls us to to hold true to what we have attained, to let no minor nuanced whatever divide us, but as the people of Christ, united to Christ, as imperfect as we are, to press on together as his people. Let's love and help one another reach the maturity of manhood and womanhood in Christ Jesus. We must. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about the passage. He said, May God help us by his gracious spirit to know all of Christ that we can know and to be as much like Christ as we can be. Amen? This is what happens in the church. This is the Christian life. The Christian life is a progression toward perfection. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we confess our imperfection. We confess that we will struggle and be affected by sin from this day until we're dead, but that you will perfect us in the resurrection. So gracious God, give us strength. Cause us to press on. Help us to lay hold of the plans Jesus has for us. God, help us believe. Lord, we do believe. Help our unbelief. And receive all the glory and the honor and the praise on that final day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, 